they were down at the creek. They just came out of nowhere, Patrick explained and pointed to Liz. And this little cat likes to talk. Are you going to keep them? Jane wanted to know. That's the plan, he replied, thinking about the argument he would need to make to his mother. But don't spoil my secret yet, all right? Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, Season 2, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll hear Chapter 4 from The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, which takes us to Patrick Henry's boyhood home of Studley Plantation. And then later in Jenny's Corner, Jenny takes us there too, about 275 years later. I wonder if it's changed. Well, we'll find out in just a bit. Meanwhile, it's my privilege to introduce three amazing animals who were there when Patrick Henry was there, and yet, somehow, they don't look a day over 200. Here's Max, Liz, and Nigel. Hey now, that were sort of a backhanded compliment then. Well, he did say we look younger than we are. Hui, and let's face it, not all of us can say that. Uh, right, Monsieur Renoncer? <laughs> Touché, old girl. Who are you calling old girl? <laughs> uh, you'll not win this battle, Mosey. Right. Uh, so, announcer chap. Uh, it's Denny. Indeed, uh, so it is. Uh, mayhaps you can bring us all up to speed on what happened since our last episode. I could, indeed. It seems that the three of you followed Patrick Henry home from his day of playing out in the forest. Of course, Patrick wasn't aware of your presence, Nigel, for bringing a mouse home would not have ended well for Patrick. Or for the mouse, indeed. Coincidentally, the other day I was at the pet store buying food for you all. And a bag of litter? Uh, oui, madame. And some chewy toys? Oh, I forgot the chewy toys. Anyway, I had some pets follow me home, too. I say, new friends, huh? Oh, jolly good. Uh, what are they? Uh, hamsters? Gerbils? Salamanders? Huh? Ew. No, uh, fish. Pardon? Yeah, a couple of fish followed me home. Monsieur? Really? How could uh, fish follow you home? Aye, lad. Fish legs are far too weird to be walking on. Max, fish don't even have legs. <laughs> that you can see, that is. Aye, they're teeny tiny. Uh, Max, old boy, uh, Liz is correct. For I actually do have, uh, teeny tiny legs, and I would have a difficult time myself keeping up with this chap's car. Eh? Have you seen his car? Uh, monsieur, would you like to explain how these fish uh, followed you home? Okay, well, it was by accident. See, somebody had set a bag on top of my car, and I didn't notice the bag until I got back here, and the bag had goldfish inside. Hmm. Mm. Um, and how, uh, how many fish did you say? At least a couple. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, where are you keeping these uh, little fish? Uh, Liz, why are you so interested in them wee fishies? Ah, uh, I may know the answer to this, old boy. And uh, Liz, my pet, uh, uh, well then, e enough about the little fishies and all that. Uh, we've got a story to tell, what? 
We do indeed. Ah, uh, I'll bring out the next chapter. And I shall continue to look for the little fishy. Liz, no. Uh, Max, keep an eye on her. Aye, lad. I'll keep an eye. Aye, aye. Well then, um, chapter four. I'm on it, Nigel. Chapter four. Settled at Studley. How beautiful! Liz exclaimed as she walked along the lane leading to Studley Plantation. Two rows of thickly grooved 50-foot trees with blackish bark lined the avenue. Bright green leaves filled branches heavy laden with blooms of fragrant white flowers. I have long adored the Robinia pseudoacacia, but of course you know it better as the black locust tree. Aye, of course we do, lass. Max shared a knowing grin with Nigel. Liz knew the scientific as well as common name of every tree, flower, and plant under the sun, it seemed. She assumed everyone else would want to as well. He's back, came the voice of a little five-year-old girl running up the lane, her flowery print dress kicked up around her heels. Patrick smiled as his little sister came to greet him. Hi, little Jane. You seem excited. Mother is getting everything ready, and the courier just got here, so father is looking through the mail, and Uncle Patrick is with him, and they are going to... Jane gushed out before putting her small fingers over her mouth. She was dying to say more. Patrick tilted his head as he studied his little sister's face. He smiled and leaned in close. What are you trying not to tell me? Jane's eyes widened and she pulled her head back. Nothing? She replied innocently, but she knew her actions betrayed her words. She had a secret she was dying to tell. Patrick grinned, knowing it likely had something to do with his birthday. He reached into his knapsack and pulled out the honeysuckle vine. I brought you something, Jane. Here, taste this. He proceeded to pull off a bloom and pinched off the end to release the sweet nectar. Jane's hazel eyes brightened as she tasted the sweet honeysuckle. Just wait till you see what Uncle Patrick brought you for your birthday. Her face fell as she realized she had made public her secret. Patrick laughed and winked at his little sister, handing her the rest of the honeysuckle. It's all right, little Jane. I'll keep your secret. She giggled and then noticed Max and Liz walking along behind Patrick. Where did they come from? She inquired happily, squatting down to pet them. Nigel had scurried over to the tall grass. He knew humans didn't appreciate his presence. They sadly assumed he was more like the rats he abhorred rather than the refined, educated creature he was. Bonjour, Jane, Liz meowed, rubbing against the little girl's knees while Max wagged his tail and smiled. They were down at the creek. They just came out of nowhere, Patrick explained and pointed to Liz. And this little cat likes to talk. Are you going to keep them? Jane wanted to know, following along after Patrick, who was again walking up the path. That's the plan, he replied, thinking about the argument he would need to make to his mother. But don't spoil my secret yet, all right, little Jane? You run along, and I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> all right. Jane giggled, putting a finger up to her mouth. She skipped along ahead as her big brother had asked, But remember to stay out of the kitchen! 
they soon came to a two-story brick house covered with whitewashed wooden clapboards. A one-story wing extended from the house, and nearby were several smaller outbuildings, including a kitchen, dairy, stables, barn, and granary. Patrick breathed in the woodsy smell of the boxwood hedges and grazed his fingers along their small dark green leaves. Nigel darted under his feet and into the boxwoods, peeking to see what awaited them on the other side of the hedge. The plantation was a beehive of activity, with everyone milling about at their various chores. Smoke curled from the chimney over the kitchen, and they could hear the cows mooing as they passed the barn. I bet you're thirsty! I know I am! Patrick told Max and Liz. He stopped at a wooden table outside the barn and set down his knapsack. He then ran over to the well and turned the crank handle to pull up a bucket of water. He dipped a wooden gourd into the bucket and gulped down the cool, fresh water, wiping his chin with the back of his sleeve. Patrick then refilled the gourd with water and walked just inside the barn, setting it on the ground for Max and Liz. Here you go. Patrick then ran back over to the table, where he filled a small basin with the rest of the water. He took out a knife from his knapsack and hurriedly cut up the fish into several pieces. He rushed back to the barn and put the fish onto the hay next to the gourd and took some dried beef from his pocket to set down next to the fish. You two stay here for a while. I'll be back. Max and Liz did as instructed and looked around the barn while Patrick made his way back over to the table, where he washed his hands and face in the basin of water. He hurriedly dried off with a small cloth and tied his hair back with a black piece of string, thinking all the while about what he would say to his mother about the animals. Patrick's 16-year-old half-brother John was helping his 9-year-old brother William unload a wagon of wooden crates filled with goods they had picked up in the nearby trading town of Newcastle. Two little girls younger than Jane, Anne and Sarah, ran around excitedly while their mother, also named Sarah, instructed the boys where to take items they unpacked from the crates. She was soon expecting another baby, and held yet another one-year-old little girl on her hip. Sarah put a hand to her aching back and bounced the toddler, who was whining, kissing the fussing child on the forehead. "'Can I help you, mother?' Patrick asked as he walked up to his mother and the busy scene of children and chores. He clapped his hands together once and then held them out to take the toddler from his tired mother. Sarah smiled and cupped Patrick's chin tenderly in her hand. There's my birthday boy. She handed over the toddler, who happily reached her tiny arms, out to Patrick. Yes, please hold Susanna for a moment. As Patrick took Susanna into his arms, he made a funny face causing her to immediately stop fussing. He proceeded to lift her high in the air and twirl her around, causing the toddler to giggle uncontrollably. Sarah called to one of their slaves across the yard. Peter, please bring some fresh eggs from the barn. Hopefully the chickens have laid plenty more this morning after that pesky raccoon got into the chicken coop yesterday. She then turned to her older boys. John, dear, please take this crate to the kitchen. She picked up a jar of molasses and handed it to William. She put a hand on his back and whispered in his ear, Bill, take this to Rose and please tell her I'll be there shortly to check on things. Sarah was a sturdy, handsome woman with strong features and a cheery disposition. Her voice was firm as she called out orders to everyone, yet her manner was gentle as she interacted with her children. She was very intelligent 
and knew how to run her household efficiently. And, as was the habit of her Winston family, she gave to her Henry family endearing nicknames, including Patrick, whom she called Pat. "'I say, what a handful the Henrys have with all these children,' Nigel said to Liz, who joined him in the boxwood hedge. "'I count three boys, four girls, and one on the way.' "'Our Patrick is so good with his little sisters, no?' Liz added with a smile. "'He clearly loves them, as every big brother should.' "'Indeed, and I'm quite impressed with Mrs. Henry,' Nigel answered. "'She clearly runs a tight ship.' "'Pat, did you catch any fish at the creek?' Sarah asked, stretching out her back once more. "'I caught one,' he answered, still making funny faces at Susanna. Sarah smiled at her son. His thoughtfulness and care of his little sisters made her proud. "'Ah, I'm glad. Uh, did you see any wildlife?' She reached out to take Susanna back into her arms. I've been concerned about you going out there alone lately. The Merediths spotted a panther last week. That little cat looks like a panther, Pat thought. He brightened as he considered that this might be a perfect lead-in. Uh, Sam told me his father saw that big cat. I spotted a bald eagle building a nest. He hesitated and then added with a grin, and actually I did see a panther, but it was a small one. Sarah's eyes widened in alarm, so Patrick quickly held up a hand and explained, It was only a little black cat, mother, and I think I might have a solution for the panther and the raccoons. There was a little black dog with her, too. A terrier. A Scottish terrier. Father told me he had one when he was a boy. Since they keep varmints away... I figure he could chase off a panther in the woods with me, too. And the cat can keep the mice under control around the barn. Nigel and Liz exchanged humorous looks. <laughs> the boy has no idea of the truth with which he speaks, chuckled Nigel, bowing to Liz. <laughs> I am your humble servant to command, a petite Madame Panther. Merci, Nigel, Liz smiled. I am happy that Patrick could use us to make his argument. He certainly has the ability to make things seem reasonable. Patrick's mother tilted her head. I see. And where are your little panther and her Scottish friend right now? In the barn? Patrick pursed his mouth to keep from grinning and nodded. His mother always seemed to know things. Can I please keep them, mother? I promise to take care of them. He put a hand on his mother's arm and looked up at her hopefully with his penetrating blue eyes. It is my birthday. Sarah smiled and kissed Patrick on the cheek. Very well, Pat. Happy birthday. Go get them and show them to your father and uncle. They've been waiting for you in the garden. The courier brought the mail and should be just leaving. A letter arrived from Cousin David, so we'll get to hear the latest news from London. Patrick wrapped his arms around his mother with joy. Thank you, mother! With that, he ran back to the barn and called for Max. Liz sauntered out from the boxwood hedge, and together they made their way across the yard. Coming around from the garden was the courier, walking his horse to the front of the house to head off to his next destination. He tapped a finger to his tricorn hat. Good day, young Master Henry. Hello, sir, Patrick answered. "'My, what fine animals you have there,' he said as he squatted down to scratch Max under the chin. Uh, "'What are their names?' 
Patrick shrugged his shoulders, petting the courier's horse. I haven't named them yet. I just got them today. Well, why not give them grand names for fun? This fine dog looks like a Maximilian, if you ask me, he suggested with a wink to the animals. And this beautiful feline looks like she could be an Elizabeth, like the beloved queen of old Elizabethan England. Patrick chuckled. Those are pretty fancy names, much too fancy for me, but my mother always uses nicknames for us. Max and Liz, perhaps? The courier suggested with a sly grin. Patrick nodded. That sounds more like it, sir. Very well, then. It's settled. I must be on my way, he said, putting his feet into the stirrup and climbing up onto his horse. Farewell, young Mr. Henry. Take care of Max and Liz. I'm sure they'll be good friends who will also take care of you. The boy looked at Max and Liz and smiled. I think so, too. He lifted a hand in farewell. Goodbye, sir. As the courier galloped away, Patrick grinned and started running toward the garden. Come on, Max and Liz. Let's see what came in the mail. That worked out, Will, thanks to Clary's quick thinking. Max whispered to Liz with a big grin as they followed Patrick. It's always nice when we can actually go by our real names, then. Liz giggled. Oui, Maximilian. Uh, everything has worked out well. We are settled at Studley, and our mission can now truly begin. Hear, hear. A splendid beginning at Studley, Nigel cheered as he came alongside them. I do look forward to this next encounter. Whatever could have come in today's mail, I wonder. Mousy's acting cheeky, Max joked. <laughs> Occupational hazard, old boy, Nigel replied with a chuckle. The humans have no idea the game is ours. Hey, that was pretty clever of Clary to help us keep our real names then, eh, Liz? Uh-oh. Uh, where'd me kitty friend go? Well, she mentioned something about getting a snack. Um, so, uh, speaking of names, old boy, what did you name your new fish? I call them cheese and crackers. Cheese and crackers? <laughs> I say, what could be better? Uh, now I'm getting a bit hungry. Uh, right, Liz? Uh, oh, dear. Li Liz! Liz, old girl! Hi, uh, Liz! He, uh, here, Liz! Say, here, Liz! Come, come, here, Liz. come here, kitty! Liz! Liz! Relax, gentlemen. I have found the fishies. Um, how, uh, how were they? Oh, they were a bit too salty for me. Oh, dear, Max, they were saltwater fish. And you ate them, lass? Uh, only one. Again, too salty for my taste. Liz! How could you eat the poor little cheese and crackers? Max, everything is fine. You see, Monsieur failed to mention that his little fishies really were cheese and crackers. What are you talking about, then? They are little cheesy crackers that look like little fishies. Lad, are you daft? Having us going on about fishies, then? And all the time they be crackers? Well, why else would I name them cheese and crackers? Besides, I knew if I had real fish, Liz might be tempted to, uh... Uh, give them a good home? So to speak. All right, lad. You pulled me leg on that one. Well, at least Mousy can enjoy him, eh? Uh, what? Now, where'd he go? He has gone to the newsroom for... It is time for another edition of Nightshade's News Nuggets. Greetings. 
Nigel P. Monaco here with breaking news. Today, it grieves me to say that we will be debunking a myth that has gone on far too long. Due to the long-standing prevalence of cartoons and children's songs, it has been widely accepted that we mice have an enthusiastic obsession for consuming cheese. Why, I myself have sought to indulge in such dairy delicacies from time to time, often coming away a bit disappointed with something I thought I was supposed to relish. We're not talking about relish. I thought we were talking about cheese. Max. But new studies have confirmed my suspicions that cheese is in fact one of our least favorite mouse eel meals. While we mice consume nearly anything considered edible, and a few choices that might well disgust many humans, choices upon which I shall not elaborate here, <sighs> That's a relief. Liz, shh. Suffice it to say that we mice prefer high sugar, fat, or protein content, especially those of a highly aromatic nature. Highly what? Smelly food. Aye. Thus the myth about our preference to cheese, whereas our real favorites include chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> he must be related to announcer lad. Max. Max. Shh. So, in conclusion... It seems that the classic children's song, Farmer in the Dell, is only partially correct. For the mouse doesn't take the cheese, but indeed, the cheese stands alone. For Nigel's News Nuggets, I'm Nigel P. Monaco, reporting. Uh, thank you, Elsie, and, well, <laughs> looks like I'll be the only one chewing down on the wee fishes, then. Ah, uh, I'd like a few. Uh, fine, you can have half, if... You promised to bring me home a chewy toy next time. All right, deal. Well, it seems that Nigel's research is helping us think a bit deeper about mice and cheese. Oui, monsieur. And in a similar fashion, uh, Miss Jenny has discovered a way to study history on a deeper level, too. Uh, so let's head to Jenny's corner, Miss Jenny. Thanks, Liz. One of my favorite things to do when researching a book is to go see where history happened. And it has been my joy to go to Virginia and see all of the places that Patrick Henry ever stepped foot where he lived. And that includes Studley Plantation. And it's a little bit north of Richmond. And there's not a house there today. There is a marker that you can uh, go to and see, and it's kind of in a neighborhood. But it's something to go and walk around on the ground where Patrick Henry walked as a kid. And history comes alive when you do that. So whenever possible, maybe you're researching something that happened in history. If you can possibly get to see where that history happened, go. Because it'll give you a whole different perspective that you can't get in a book and you can't get on the internet. So go see where history happened. Now, one of the things I loved about Patrick Henry was he loved family. He loved his sisters. He loved his parents. And so you're going to see him interacting with such love and such respect. And that was one of the things that that generation especially had such integrity in how they treated one another. Hey, thank you, Les. Well, she gave us two thoughts to chew on, eh? The joy and benefit of visiting historical sites. And the joy and benefit of treating our family members with love and respect. <laughs> well done, Miss Jenny. 
and of course there was much love in the Henry family, but like any family, there were family challenges too. Right you are, Nigel, and next time we'll get to see how well the Henry clan does on the topic of uh, religion. And let's just say, not as well as you might think. Especially when you add a little lassie power. <laughs> Join us next time, and you'll see what I mean. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.